This week in our New City Catechism devotional, uh, we're going to be probably retreading a little bit of ground. We'll try to cover it in a, in a new and fresh way, but we'll, we'll, be, we'll be going over some, some territory that we've already covered. Uh, before we get to that, uh, brief reminder, we last week looked at the, the purpose of the law. So we spent a lot of time looking at the law, the Ten Commandments, uh, who the law is for, what the law does. And so we spent some time thinking about the purpose of the law through the lens of the book of Leviticus. And then this week, we're going to broadly ask the question, what is sin? So our, our catechism question for this week, what is sin? Sin is rejecting or ignoring God in the world he created, rebelling against him by living without reference to him, not being or doing what he requires in his law, resulting in our death and the disintegration of all creation. And while there are many passages that certainly could talk through this, First John 3, 4 is the passage for this week. Everyone who makes practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. This week, we're, we're getting into a definition of sin. It, it, it's rejecting of God, ignoring God, even though he is the creator of the world. He is the one who orders all things. We rebel against him by, by living without reference to him. So we, we live our lives not considering what God would have of us, not considering what God would want us to do, what God would want us to be. And so we live without reference to him not being or doing what he requires in the law as we have considered over the past several weeks, which results in our death. Romans reminds us the wages of sin is death. And we've talked about sin in, in a couple of different ways. We've talked about ways in which we sin. We've talked about how we don't live up to the law. And because we don't live up to the law, we are sinners. And so I want to look at a few different ideas surrounding, surrounding sin and what it means that we are sinners. So first, we are sinners by nature and by choice. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, talks about this idea that we were once dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked. Uh, talking about how this is the state before salvation. We are dead. And then listen to verse 3 of Ephesians 2, where Paul says, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. And so we are, by our very nature, sinners. Wayne Grudem, in his Systematic Theology book, talks about it as inherited sin, because Adam sinned, we then are, are sinners as well by our very nature. Romans 5 gets into that reality. And so we're sinners by our, by our very nature. Uh, but we also are sinners by choice. We are sinners by action. We are, we are sinners by what we have done or left undone, right? Romans 3.23 reminds, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Paul is not just talking about a nature aspect of of everyone having sinned. He's talking about everyone has actively disobeyed and transgressed the laws of God, either uh, by rejecting or ignoring God, just as the catechism answer gets into, uh, by not being or doing what he requires in the law. We are sinners by nature and by choice. And one of my favorite prayers of confession gets at the two sides of 
of sin. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and what we have left undone. You see, this prayer gets at the heart of sin. It, it reminds that sin happens in, in what we think. So it's not just about what we do and what we say, but it's, it's how we think. It's our thought processes, the way that we really just think about all things. So we can, we can sin in our, in our thinking. Um, we can sin by what we say. The way that we say things, uh, the words that we say, we can sin in thought and word and in deed. We, what we do can actively be against the laws and commands of God. And it's by what we have done and left undone. So there's sins of omission, things that we have left undone, and sins of commission, things that we have actively done. And again, we see that active sin in, in Romans. What Paul talks about in Romans 3.23, he gets into that active nature of sin, that we do the things that are against the laws of God. But James 4.17 is the other side. It says, anyone who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. So there is a, okay, I know my responsibility in this moment. I know what I'm supposed to do, but I am choosing not to. And that's a sin of omission. We know what we should do, and we choose not to do it. We are sinners by nature and by choice in sins of omission, commission, the things that we have done, the things that we leave undone. We are separated from God because of these things. Our catechism question in a few weeks will talk about the Redeemer and, and what he has done in order to reconcile us back to God. But that's the beauty of the gospel, is that in the midst of our sin, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Sin separates us from God, it, it alienates us from the life of God, and it, it causes us to die. The wages of sin is death, and it is eternal separation from God. And the beauty of, of Christ is that he comes and makes a way for us to be reconciled back to God. So how do we, as believers, think about sin? Right? Paul talks about this tension between the old life and the new life, the, the flesh and the spirit, and they're the, at war with one another. And one of the things that he talks about in, in this war, in this battling, is that just because we are believers does not mean we are perfect, does not mean we won't ever sin again. Theologically, some of the, the terms that divide this up are justification and then sanctification. And so we are justified and we are made righteous before God, but we are still being sanctified. And so just because we have been justified and forgiven of our sin doesn't mean we don't struggle with that sin. In our sanctification, we still fall short. So what do we do with sin in our own life, sin in the life of the believer? Well, first, sin does not change our status of justification. Throughout the book of 1 John, he, he talks about sins and things that the, the people of God struggle with. But then in John, 1 John 5, he talks about the assurance we have of our salvation. And so there is assurance. There is, there is a, a certainty regarding our justification, regarding our salvation, that, that our status before God for eternity is not changed because we sin. However, on the flip side of that, 
fellowship with God is, is hampered. It's disrupted. Again, Wayne Grudem in his systematic theology talks about this. And one of the things that he references is Hebrews 12, where it talks about God disciplining those whom he loves. And so we can fall under this, this fatherly displeasure where God has restored us, redeemed us. We are justified. That won't be taken away. But fellowship is hampered because we have once again alienated ourselves by, by falling into sin. Now, it's not an alienation in the sense of pre-salvation where we are alienated God from God for eternity, but it does cause a disruption in the relationship. Uh, James talks about God opposing the proud and giving grace to the humble. And, and so there are people up against whom God is opposed, and they can be his own people. God can be present with his people in grace, redemption, and forgiveness, and God can be present with his people in justice and wrath. And we see that throughout the Old Testament. Even his people of Israel, whom he called out, whom he redeems, he sends into exile. And so we can, we can fall under fatherly displeasure, we can fall under fatherly discipline, and so fellowship with the, the Father is, is disrupted though our status of justification and salvation is not changed. This kind of naturally rolls into this idea of forgiveness and consequences. Our sin can be absolutely forgiven, and our standing before God is that we are righteous, clothed in the robes of Christ, that when God sees us, he sees his Son, and we are absolutely forgiven. Yet in the midst of that forgiveness, we still experience the here and now consequences of our sin. And it's important that we, we distinguish between eternal consequences of sin and the here and now consequences of sin. Because as forgiven people, as redeemed people, we don't experience the eternal consequences of sin. But we can still experience the present consequence of sin and living in a fallen world. Consider the story of David and Bathsheba. Uh, David, king of Israel, sees a woman, lusts after her, and commits adultery with her. Um, and then her husband, he calls him back and tries to get him to sleep with his own wife so that David's sin can be covered up. That doesn't work. So David sends this man back to war and, and intentionally has people pull away from him in the middle of the, of the battle so that this man can die. And so David murders this man um, and then takes Bathsheba as his wife. And, and a prophet comes to David and recounts the story of David and Bathsheba as a parable. And David hearing this story says that this man deserves to die. The, the one who is David deserves to die. And, and Nathan says, you are this man. And David responds. David says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan says to David, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. You are forgiven. And yet there's a consequence. David's son will die. There is a consequence for David's sin. So while we are forgiven and our standing before God is that we are justified and we will not experience the eternal consequence of sin, we will still experience the here and now consequence of sin. Relationships will be broken. Uh, 
Trust will be shattered. We will experience consequences, whatever they might be in the situation. We will experience consequences because of sin. That doesn't change our standing before God, but it does mean that when we experience the result of our sin, we should not be surprised that it's negative. There, there are consequences. John Piper, in an article, says it this way. The aim of God-sent consequences of forgiven sin is not to settle accounts demanded by justice. The aim of God-sent consequences of forgiven sin are first to demonstrate the exceeding evil of sin, to, to show that God does not take sin lightly even when he lays aside his punishment, and three, to humble and sanctify the forgiven sinner. Our consequences that we experience for our sin should not cause us to run from God. Rather, they remind us that God is sanctifying us, making us holy, and, and pruning us that we might look more like Christ. So there's forgiveness for sins, but our sins still have consequences here and now. So what do we do then when we sin? How do we respond to the sin in our own lives? I think first we need to ask that God reveal it. There are times where, where our hearts are sinful, where we are far from God, and we don't even notice. We don't see it. When we think about the things that we should be doing and the things that we shouldn't be doing and how we fail in, in both areas, we don't always see the things that we're doing as sin. And we don't see the things that we should be doing, but not as sin. We, we miss it. Uh, and so we should pray for revelation, that, that God reveals the sinfulness of our heart in order that he might prune those portions out of our lives, that we might reflect Christ more completely. We ought to pray for revelation regarding our sin, that we might see it clearly. Uh, one of our responses to sin is that we cover it up. We, like David, try to hide our sin. But that's not really the response that we should have. We are, we are called to acknowledge our sin and confess our sin. I think it's, it's telling that when Christ taught his disciples to pray, part of that prayer is forgive us our trespasses, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who trespass against us, as we forgive our debtors. Um, confession is, is part of the prayer that Christ teaches his disciples, his followers. It's not just something that we do when we come into relationship with Christ, but we continually confess the sin that we have, acknowledge it before the, the Father, in order that he might prune so that our lives reflect Christ. Sin is rejecting or ignoring God, something believers and unbelievers both do. We are sinners by nature and by choice because of the things that we have done and the things that we have left undone. And as a believer who struggles with their fallen nature, with the flesh, the old life, I recognize, we must recognize that our sin disrupts relationship with the Father. It does not change our status because we are still forgiven, redeemed, and holy in the sight of God. And yet there are consequences for our sin. 
There are here and now consequences because of our sin, which God then uses to sanctify the forgiven sinner. And so we pray for revelation that God would show us our own sin. We don't cover it up. We acknowledge it and confess it because it is only God who forgives and can ultimately make us look more like Christ.